I'm Charlene. In these 20-minute podcasts, I talk with memoir writers about their books, their lives, and their writing process. Sharing like this helps us all connect. As we listen, we learn about the world through the eyes of others. Their stories help us expand our views and empathize more deeply with each other. It's my pleasure now to invite you to listen in to this episode of Life Story on Soul Sciences. going to talk with us today about her experiences as a Mennonite, a former Mennonite. Marion has written a memoir called Mennonite Daughter, the story of a plain girl. Welcome to the program, Marion. Thank you, Charlene. I appreciate your having me. This is quite an honor. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Marion, please tell us what it is that made you decide to write your memoir. Well, I'm many years away from my um, childhood, girlhood, and as I got older, I I wanted to leave um, a legacy for my children, and they have no idea what my uh, life was like, uh, my grandchildren especially. And my thought was, okay, I die, they won't know my stories. So I wanted to tell the story and leave a legacy for my family. Also, my blog readers um, urged me to tell the story because they love reading about my grandma and my mom and my dad. And and so uh, because of their urging, um, I, I was goaded on to uh, tell my stories. And what is it specifically about your background as a Mennonite that you feel helped you create this story? Mennonites come, uh, they have a European heritage, uh, Switzerland and uh, Germany. They were driven from that those countries because of religious persecution, which I talked about in the first pages of my book. And uh, because of that, if you're going to leave a country and go to a new land, you have to have some uh, stamina and determination. So that that's in my background, I guess, in my blood. There's a strong work ethic. By the way, William Penn invited uh, these Mennonite uh, refugees to come to Pennsylvania to work the land because they had a reputation as being good farmers. So my background is also in the land. Uh, I have some chapters in my book about farming tomatoes and and harvesting corn and sweet potatoes. So that's, even though I'm a city girl right now, I, I have a, an agrarian background. I, I grew up in the country, in, a, in a rural southeastern Pennsylvania. And were the Mennonites called Mennonite in Europe? Uh, originally from a, a Mennonite, actually a Catholic monk, named Menno Simons. And he broke away from the Mennonite church because he thought it was silly to baptize little babies because they had no idea what they were doing. He said, wait until they get older and can make a conscious decision, right? What an interesting So, so uh, that was one thing. Also, he was very opposed to war. The term pacifist makes sense to you, perhaps, but uh, Mennonites use the term non-resistance to war, and they're very opposed to 
war and using firearms for anything except for bagging a buck or killing wildlife, maybe just for eating purposes. Th those were the two main things, opposition to war and, and also uh, baptizing children when they come of age. Now, Marion, it seems to me that must have been a very difficult decision to walk away from such an immersion because your religion was not, as you describe it in Mennonite Daughter, your involvement with the Mennonite Church was not only on Sunday. It was the entire social life. It was all of your neighbors. It was all of your family. Would you give our readers a description of how that process took place for you? Uh, that's a really good question, Charlene. Yes, it was. it's culture and also a religious faith. And I will say this, I have hung on to the tenets of my faith, but uh, the, the outer trappings, the wearing a prayer cap, wearing plain outfits, uh, went against the grain of my personality. But I've, I, I have kept the good part, the parts that I thought were good, and then I, I left the other trappings. I, w I would say the catalyst for that was meeting my husband. <laughs> He, he said, you don't fit in this culture. I had been teaching in a Mennonite school for three years. And one thing he said to me, which is in the book, check no by the availability for teaching next year. He said, you just don't fit there. You have a, you, you want to be fancy and you love color and design and you just can't stay like that. And, and of course, I fell in love with him and, and it was it was sort of like a no-brainer. I'm not going to continue being someone that I can't be. Also, I was older. I was in my mid-20s. And so my parents, which would have objected to this when I was younger, my, my big change, probably decided, well, okay, at age 24, she knows her mind, and they respected me. And I, I, I appreciate their uh, allowing me to leave this very strict culture and follow my own path. And how did you, Marion, how did you bridge that gap with your family? Were you, it sounds like you were able to just, everybody integrate the whole situation, but from what I understand of human nature, I would like that to be the case, but I'm wondering how that worked for you. They they met Cliff, my husband. He walked in the front door of my, my parents' home. So they met him the exact instant I met him and and he was charming and they liked him and he he also espouses the Christian faith so that was that was one thing he's not a Mennonite at all he's uh, I would say a free spirit type of person and he is engaging he humored them and and so he entered he he was shocked at he had never met people with caps on their heads and plain outfits. So he was shocked, but he hid the shock <laughs> and, and was very kind to my um, sort of bashful, very unsocial parents. But very quickly, he um, endeared himself to, to them and uh, they accepted him. And that's sort of magical as I think about it. I guess someone... Uh, hearing my story would say, well, that was quick, <laughs> but it was Christmas time. He was engaging, and he also wasn't going to, you know, try to change them. 
that wasn't part of the script. But he he fell in love with me. I guess we fell in love the first week or so. It was kind of instant. <laughs> and so that was my path out. That was my path out of the Mennonite culture. So I, I went, um, I left my homeland, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, then took a job. In, um, it was still a Christian school in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. We got married the following year. And now I've been in Florida for 52 years. And looking back on my life up north, I'm bridging distance, I'm, bri I'm bridging um, time, uh, and I'm bridging a culture. And I, I, there are many charms in my culture. There are also challenges, which I write about in my book. Yes. And, yes. yes, you know about the challenges. Yes, I have read the book. I'm wondering, though, and I think this is so important that you've given us a slice of the first few moments. How did you negotiate holiday? compared to the way the Mennonites celebrate Christmas, for example, the negotiations that go on and this time of year we're starting to ramp up and everybody's starting to say, who's going to sit at the table? Which table are we going to? Whose house? How does this all get transacted? How did that get transacted with very, very strictly involved Mennonite parents who now have a Christian daughter or erstwhile Christian daughter who's living in the common world and has all kinds of color and shape and form yeah. and in her life. How did that get resolved? Again, a very good question. They enjoyed uh, my family and they loved Cliff. Also, the Mennonite church itself was changing. Had I been born 10 years later, I wouldn't have had the struggles that I had because a lot of these, the trappings in this particular conference were falling away. And therefore, uh, even though my mother to her dying day wore a, a prayer cap, it kept getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> and uh, she was very, we had a very close-knit family and very loving. I had a very adversarial relationship with my father, but he died in the 1980s. And then uh, in the years after that, I had such a wonderful uh, relationship and uh, took care of my parents and even my aunt, who's uh, one of my main mentors in their later life, especially this last 10 years has been challenging as been taking care of them. But I would say the batter over our family was love. That's, that's what it was. That's what saved us and helped us to accept our differences. My, my sisters both were Mennonites and left the Mennonite church in sub subsequent years. Although my sisters is still a member, she attends, one of my sisters, uh, attends an Episcopal church. So, you know, <laughs> we're very, uh, we have our arms open wide when it comes to uh, faith. And certainly, I think that that is the ruling principle we all struggle with, is that it has to be arms open wide with love up to a point, you know, what you can do in all areas of our lives. And I really believe you were born to a very special family because I have heard Thank stories you. and done podcasts of people who left certain kinds of very, very strict religions and were not greeted with their family in case, in one case was, was completely what's called shunned. And that was- it, Right, exactly. That did not happen to me. That did not happen to me. Did, did it happen to anyone? Uh, no, no. 
my grandmother and aunt took in refugees. So from many countries around the world, Africa, Vietnam, start with Vietnam, uh, Africa, there, there were, there was a Romanian woman, I believe. My parents had an affinity for, uh, there was a Spanish ministry, women in Chicago, who had gotten off on the wrong, wrong track. They had lots of babies, no husband, you know, they were single parents struggling. And uh, so they, they embraced a ministry that helped get those women on their feet called New Life for Girls. In fact, um, I, I still communicate with, uh, one, with one of the women there. They thought beyond the restrictions of the culture and helped those in need. I guess that that's, and I, I still have that feeling. That's something they passed on to me, caring about the world and, and the needs of the world. I, I remember, do you remember one of the chapters that talks about my grandma sewing um, little baby, baby clothes, and we made comforters. Yes. So that that's an and that's embedded into my my thinking. Helping other people. Okay, people have needs. What are we going to do? We're not going to stare at them and say, "Well, they're not like us." No, we're going to help them. Give them food and clothing. It's a very beautiful and moving uh, part of your book. To I was struck by that point of your grandmother's constant awareness because this is a woman who had enormous amounts of work on her shoulders every day, physical oh, yes. hard work for her family, and yet the way you describe her, she was loving, she was receptive, and she had time and energy to give to others. This is a real example of what I believe Christianity, at its best, brings yes. to the world. So. Such a delight to read. Now, Marion, uh, in the writing process, how did you decide what to include and what to leave out? Thank you for asking that. I come from an academic world, and so I was used to writing in journals, uh, college journals, and I realized that when I started writing memoir, I had nothing. I had no idea of storytelling. I, I had to learn the craft, so I took two courses. And what I was told in uh, one of the courses, it's Linda Joy Myers, uh, write your memoir in six months. She said, decide on a theme or, or work on um, getting a theme going and then filter everything through that theme. There are some stories I would have liked to tell, but they didn't fit the, uh, the theme of uh, my finding a new path or what is the script for my life uh, there, there are some things I ha I couldn't say, so that I, I had to use my theme, uh, finding a path, uh, as a uh, plain girl wanting to be fancy. Yes. I had to use that as the uh, the filter through which I I told the story. Yes, that is a, an amazing uh, capacity in memoir. It is so in fiction as well, but I think in memoir it takes a certain amount. My experience was it takes a certain amount of uh, guts to cut out the parts that you know are just great stories right. but just don't fit in that particular book. And mm. Linda Joy Myers and Brooke Warner do a great job of helping yes. people write memoir, uh, learn about memoir. That, yeah, something else came to mind. Um, May Sarton, the uh, essayist and poet, said she never wrote a book that, that wasn't born out of a question she needed to answer for herself. And
And this question, and, and you know it well because you've read the book, why was my father so angry? And he had this loving mother and he grew up in a, I would say judgmental, but loving culture. So I wondered, as I wrote, I tried to explore that the answer to that question. And I think that that provides the impetus for readers to keep reading the book because they, they're following along with me trying to figure out why, what was the source of his anger. And so that's another thing, uh, sort of the, there are two threads that are sort of parallel, I would say. My fighting against the restrictions of uh, the dress code, that's one. And then uh, I was uh, strong-willed Head, uh, strong-willed and headstrong and whatever, <laughs> uh, and fought against the um, the tight leash my father had on me. So those things, those things I think provided the impetus for the the book to uh, move forward. Right. And now, Marion, why did it take five years to write your memoir? <laughs> had to learn my craft yeah <laughs> I, I I had to learn it, it was it was like picking my way through this forest of you know what I, I was hoping to get it done in two or three but um no it took five years because I had to take classes and I would you know understand I was retired uh, but I had to take classes and then I would I would write a chapter and it didn't sound right so I had to rewrite it also during that time my uh, mother died my aunt had to be institutionalized because of her dementia when they died I had to clean out the houses and this provided a lot of blog material yes. and we can't just uh, you know sit at our desks and write in this you know <laughs> life keeps coming along Life, Life keeps coming at us, and and so uh, I, to honor them, I, I wanted to you know go through the not just throw everything to the curb, but we curated all their stuff and and uh, kept some things, sold some things, recycled some things. We even had sale for my mother and my um, my aunt. So that's that's one reason, but also it was mainly um, it, it writing was also therapy for me. Uh, I would sit at my computer and, and sob sometimes sure. because of the emotional um, experience of writing. It was very taxing. Uh, I guess I you could say I gave therapy to myself. You say you're a therapist. Writing this was like giving sessions, a, a therapy sessions, because the confusion I felt, the resentment I felt, over time kind of melted away and I I've come to the the place of forgiveness now mm. honestly say my father had 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 struggles that I didn't know anything about and I really probably shouldn't have taken his treatment of me personally but of course I was a child I was a child no I was option. a little girl I had no no, yeah. and um, I, I feel like he, he just didn't understand how to be a parent. Um, he there just, was a lot of that going around in those days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big shelf for that, that particular product. Yeah. Not being a good it. parent resides over here. Yeah, there was a lot of that. We've only recently come to an explosion of understanding attachment, right. attachment theory, 
how people are together. Now, for our final moments together, Marion, what advice would you give to other memoir writers? Write every day, even if you don't feel like it. Uh, I think inspiration comes to those who sit in the writing chair. And um, if it doesn't work for a while, just take a walk, go shopping, spend some time with friends. Uh, also, don't impose a strict get done by d deadline for yourself. I really hope to finish in three years, but it took me five for the reasons I mentioned before. And um, also, oh, we moved too. <laughs> that was another thing. We moved from a house we lived in for 37 years. Three years ago, we oh moved and, oh yeah, to a smaller house. So... It's a lot of going a, through the past. I'm a pretty much an expert on, on letting go. And what I didn't realize was the freedom of letting go. Yes. It was so wonderful. Yes. And I made people happy. For example, um, my, my college textbooks had little writings in the margin. And uh, I met an English major uh, who... I mentioned something about my textbooks that I talked about. Oh, he just, he was over the moon when I said I was going to give him my textbook. So Absolutely. now, okay, it's not cluttering up my little house. And and he's just so happy with that. And then I could give you other examples of things that right. I gave away. And I don't miss a thing. Absolutely. I do not miss the thing I gave away. That's wonderful. Marion, well, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the program today. Do you have any final words? And please let our listeners know where they can get your book, Mennonite Daughter, The Story of a Plain Girl. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much. And Charlene, um, whenever this airs, you are still basking in the uh, excitement of having your latest book, My Impossible Life, hit the bestseller list on, in three categories. So I'm just uh, so pleased that this has happened to you. And Thank my you. book, uh, Mennonite Daughter, The Story of a Plain Girl, is available on Amazon. You can get it in Kindle form. You can also uh, get the paperback. Um, MarianBeeman.com is my website. And uh, I also, I can send you an autographed copy from my home if you um, communicate with me that way, MarianBeeman at Comcast.net. Those are two ways. If you're out of the country, though, I probably can't send a signed copy to Germany. Or Well, thank you again so much, and we look forward to having you back on the program, Marion. Take care. Thank you, Charlene. Bye for now. Bye-bye. That's it. That's all for today. Many thanks to Kevin McLeod for that lovely music, Carefree. And many thanks to all of you who make these podcasts possible. Remember... Take good care of each other. Bye for now.